Hello and welcome to Table Talk. I'm your host, Jonas Ellison. I'm a writer and a midlife seminarian, MDiving. Yes, I've turned getting your Masters of Divinity into a verb. So MDiving at the Lutheran School of Theology here in Chicago, Illinois. I uh, write and talk about life, work, creativity, mimetic theory, and faith in a nonviolent God. And it's nice having you here. I hope this finds you well, warm, safe, and healthy this fine Lenten day. And I have to say, this Lent is the most Lenten Lent I've ever experienced, and probably a lot of us have ever experienced. I had no idea that Lent was going to come on this strong this year. But um, yeah, the human condition and our mortality are in vivid focus right now as this pandemic works its way around the world and through our lives. Um, Three million jobs lost last week. And all kinds of other dreary statistics that I, you probably already know about. So just kind of want to sit with the gravity of that for a moment, you know. Um, not to get hysterical about it or to freak out too much, but to just kind of sit with that. You know, things are, things are pretty real right now. But uh, thankfully, there is hope. There is always hope. So want to always kind of move towards that direction. But yeah, definitely interesting times. Definitely a bizarre time to be alive right now. And so many of us are staying home. Like I mentioned last week, we have a six-year-old girl. Her name is Rory. Yes, based on the Gilmore Girls, Rory Gilmore. I'm not sure if you're a fan, but we sure are. But uh, she's at home right now and hanging out at home. So we're all just kind of hunkering down, as you probably are too. Not sure. Some of us can't do that, though. Some of us, we got to do what we got to do. Um, and there are a lot of, I've been writing about that, that this last week in the blog, but there are a lot of, I guess I call them like germ purity laws <laughs> out right now, you know? Uh, and that's all well-meaning stuff. We all should stay inside and we all should wash our hands t- every 20 minutes we all, while we're singing Happy Birthday for 20 seconds. Uh, there are a lot of things we should be doing right now, and a lot of us are doing really well. Uh, a lot of us are doing. I hope. I hope I'm doing well. Um, it's also easy to get really judgmental these days when we see people not doing those things. It's really easy to scapegoat people who either can't or aren't, just aren't. You know, maybe they're whatever you want to blame it on ignorance or just kind of the flawed human condition, whatever you want to call it. But a lot of folks are are not following the rule book of the coronavirus right now. And it gets kind of frustrating for those of us who are. So yeah, definitely frustrating times, but also want to say that we have to maintain our humanity during this time too. So there's that, there's that, you know, I was really frustrated when like a couple weeks ago, I think it was, it's hard to know what day it is, how, how many days we've been into this thing, but I think it was a couple weeks ago when the news first hit that this thing was a pandemic and there were no no there's there was no toilet paper at the stores hand sanitizer was impossible to find and a lot of perish non-perishable items were hard to find at the store and i was like i don't know i was like seriously you guys are stocking up on toilet paper right now is that really what we should be doing but people are people we are you know, we are very fear-based beings, survival-based beings, and we do some crazy, irrational stuff sometimes. We all do, all of us. So 
got to keep that in mind. <laughs> but anyhow, I hope this finds you well and warm this week. We're hanging in there, so thank you. I know you're asking, so. <laughs> anyhow, it is the fifth Sunday in Lent, the fifth Sunday in Lent, and episode five of this here little podcast. So um, that finds us here at John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. 1 through 45, oh my word. Yeah, these lectionary people, I'll tell you what. So we have, let's see, yeah, 1 through 4, 44, 45 verses. Yeah, these lectionary people are sadistic, I, I want to say. They're crazy, 45 verses. Um, and John, um, so this spans not, not three stories like last week, but, you know, which last week was a wall of text in itself, but five stories, five little micro stories wrapped into one. We have the death of Lazarus and then we have the Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And then Jesus weeps and then Jesus raises Lazarus to, to life. And finally, the plot to kill Jesus. So five stories, little stories, that wrap up into one nice little gospel burrito here today. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to jump into it. I'm going to go ahead and read it. I don't know if you're getting the email to this here episode, but in the email, I'll put the timestamp, hopefully, I think I will, where this thing, you can, if you want to fast forward to the bottom of it, it doesn't want to take that long, so... I'm just going to go ahead and read it to you, and then I'll jump into a little homily after that, and that should be it for, for today. So anyway, settle in, because this is a bit of a reading. So here we have John chapter 11, verse 1, starting with the death of Lazarus. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Remember her? Yeah. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, Though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So he's just kind of chilling. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? <laughs> Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. Gotta love John. Gotta love John, right? After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. God love Thomas. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Judeans, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Judeans who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Judeans said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Judeans, 
therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. And that is the gospel of the Lord. Woo, 45 verses. Are you still here? Are you still hanging tight? Wow, if you are, kudos to you. All right, so here it is in a nutshell. At the beginning of this long passage, Jesus' friend Lazarus is going to die. His sisters, Mary and Martha, sent Jesus a letter saying that he's sick. So like, hint, hint, come heal him and stuff, you know? Now, you think that if you were going to get a hold of the Son of Man to tell him that a dear friend of his was sick, that he'd be all over it. But no, not in this story. Instead, he's like, ah, no big deal. He'll be fine. And well, Lazarus does die. And still, Jesus doesn't freak out immediately. It's all God's will, he's kind of saying. And, and then he heads down to the tomb of Lazarus in Jerusalem two days later. I want to say here that it's a suicide mission. They just tried to stone him in Judea. His disciples are terrified to go back down there. But he saddles up, or maybe Jesus rides bareback, I'm not sure, and goes anyway. And when he gets to the tomb, Mary is like, Dude, where were you? You're the worst friend and Messiah ever. <laughs> Jesus shrugs it off and goes to the tomb to find the Judeans and everyone weeping. And that's where it hits Jesus really hard. He starts to weep. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And the authorities don't like this magic they've just seen. Like, who is this guy? And they go and they plan to kill him. So that's a skinny. That's kind of what happens. And this seems to be the theme these last few Lenten weeks. Who does this guy think he is? That's what the, the authorities are saying. Now, the gospel story in John is different from the other gospel stories about what leads to Jesus' death. In the other stories, it's about how Jesus goes to the temple in Jerusalem, makes a giant ruckus, and effectively shuts it down. But here in John, the thing that leads Jesus to the cross is raising Lazarus from the dead. It's a fantastic story. We've got friendship happening here, complicated relationships, disappointment, blame, and a timeless questioning of God. And we see these kinds of themes right now in our pandemical world. Where is God in this pandemic? Why isn't God making everyone better? And I want to say, where is God in this? The question, where is God in this, has been the go-to human lament forever. After reading this gospel story, we have to ask ourselves, what happens when God doesn't show up at the tomb, snap his fingers, and raise someone from the dead? Because in my earthly experience, that hardly ever happens. Martha's response is raw human emotion in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when a family member dies early, this is the question. And to look at the question with stark objectivity, it's also the go-to response that effectively asks, who are we going to blame for this? 
Mary is trying to blame someone for this horrible thing. I know I sure would. And God, as always, is the easiest scapegoat. And Jesus is taking it here. He takes on the God role, and people aren't happy with him. And it's a lot to get... It's, it's about to get a whole lot more heated than that. And they all start weeping. Some mimetic scholars have said that the Greek word that's used for Mary and Martha's weeping points to like a catharsis or like an emotional release of tension. Like something that like feels good, like screaming into a pillow or something. And the Greek word that's used for Jesus's weeping points to frustration or agitation. Um, yeah, so it's two different kinds of of weeping there, I guess, in the Greek texts. So you're a human, I'm guessing. I'm a human, I, I think. And we both know how good it feels to blame someone for tragedy and unite with others against that person. It's human, that's what we do. Well, Mary and Martha are doing this, and I don't blame them at all. And then the authorities take this to the extreme. They go back and they plot to kill him. Why? Because Jesus has made a career of upending entire human systems that are based in death. And now he's doing it literally, not just figuratively. René Girard, the late French philosopher, teaches us that since the very beginning of human culture, we've united in a sacrificial death against another person or smaller group on the margins who take our blame, a.k.a. the scapegoat. So Jesus brings Lazarus back to life, and he knows that this is going to throw a giant monkey wrench in everyone's worldview. See, when Lazarus is dead in the tomb, Jesus is the scapegoat. And as mad as they are at him, it's a cathartic release. He's to blame because he didn't do anything to stop it. I can imagine them saying, Well, Jesus, you can't just bring him back to life now, can you? Where were you before? And this feels cathartic. But Jesus is about to be like, Okay, guys, you want me to bring him back to life? Really? Really? Is that what you want me to do? We'll see about that. He knows that this isn't going to make everything better, as they might think or say. He knows that it's actually going to do the opposite. It's going to make them want to kill him for doing this. So he does it. He raises Lazarus. And by doing that, he effectively takes away their scapegoat mechanism, which is the death of Lazarus thanks to the God-man not saving his life. And now they're furious. How dare he? Who is this man? Jesus weeps. Jesus is weeping over a world that's trapped in cycles of blame, violence, and death. Trapped in a mindset of projecting our pain onto others again and again. But what if, instead of blame, we look to compassion? What if we trusted God in times of sorrow, and instead of finding a scapegoat, we found solidarity. 
Jesus weeps because the world is trapped in a myth that only he can see through. Terrible things do happen. God doesn't come to the rescue every single time. I don't know if humans can figure out God's pattern here or if there even is one. But instead of blaming Jesus, wondering why he didn't come, we can say, well, we're here now. Even if we can't stop this, what can we do to alleviate the pain and be here for each other? This is what the whole gospel is about. It's not about God coming to the rescue every time humans snap their fingers. It's about showing us how to relate to each other in a whole new compassionate way. If you notice, as I said, Mary starts off in accusation, but then she shifts to trust. Jesus responds with this mysterious phrase in verses 25 through 27, I think it is, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? But he doesn't wait. I mean, I also want to point out that he doesn't wait for her confirmation. He does it anyway. He raises Lazarus. It's, so the, it's not dependent on her faith. It's his faith. It's Jesus' faith. That's the miracle. Not just bringing Lazarus back to life, but what Lent is leading up to, Good Friday and Easter, or death and resurrection. This idea that, yes, people die horrible deaths far too soon all around the world every single hour of every single day. But in Christ, and I say, when I say Christ, I'm saying the timeless Christ. I'm saying the anointedness of creation itself from the very time the Big Bang boomed. In Christ, death doesn't have the last word. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Jesus challenges us to reorient ourselves to see that even in death, we are brought up into the renewal of God. There's nothing wrong with lamenting and grieving death. Nothing at all. Matter of fact, it's healthy. It's human. The problem is when it gets in the way of our relationship with God and each other, which it almost always does. But in Christ, we can surrender our scapegoating and know that it only leads to more death and sorrow. So here's a good question or two for a Lenten reflection for you. What is the tomb that is inside of you that Christ calls you to come out of? What are the places of death in your soul that are keeping you from coming alive to yourself and to your neighbor. Trust falling back into faith enlivens and resurrects us to do this, to trust, relax, and be free from the boulders that cover our inner tombs. In Christ, we are called out of our tombs, which is terrifying because it's more comfy here in the tomb, right? To resign ourselves to these things. We have no idea what will happen when we are brought back to life it's pretty certain that we'll be out in the wilderness again. And like Lazarus, we'll likely die again. But this is the cycle that we're involved in. We are intimately connected in death. It is the common denominator of all living things. 
it can both bring us into a self-protective, blameful, and rivalrous stance. Or, in the way of Christ, it can bring great joy, renewal, and connection. Death and grief make up God's raw material. But the good news is that resurrection and renewal are God's source code. Yeah, so we're getting closer to the cross, friends. A week from now is Palm Sunday. Things are getting real. So get ready. Easter's coming. And that's it for today. So I'll end with a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you with grace and mercy. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Until next time, as always, grace and Godspeed.